Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Tuesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got John Paul and Sadie taking your calls uh, today. They'd love to hear from you. 1850 333 103. Texts, WhatsApps, all available now at 0862 103 103. And of course, you can always email the programme, Patricia, at c103.ie. And reading through the papers this morning, it has a fee, almost a sense of, you know, that movie, The Grinch That Stole uh, Christmas. There is this feeling of fear now with the warning coming from the Chief Medical Officer Dr Ronan Glynn that we all now as a nation we have two weeks to save Christmas and turn round the lockdown setback that has halted the fall and the spread of COVID-19 probably over the last five to seven days. Yesterday, sadly, they were reporting five COVID-related uh, deaths and the number of new cases yesterday, 456. Bearing in mind that Neffet and the government have set a kind of a target saying that by the beginning of December they we would need to be looking at figures between 50 and 100 cases a day by the very best early December in order for us to move out of level 5 and it looked like we were going in that direction we were reporting cases every day kind of in the 200s maybe low 300s at the most suddenly now we're shooting back up again and we're going in the wrong direction instead of heading down towards between 50 and 100 we're going the other way instead Ronan Glim imploring people yesterday to make the most of the final two weeks of the six weeks lockdown I mean we're nearly four weeks into this lockdown the last two weeks uh, to go but he is warning we have a very short period now to turn it around now of course he was being asked yesterday and questioned as indeed I'd say every politician who appeared on any radio station yesterday was being asked about pubs reopening and around the whole issue of takeaway drinks at the moment anyway he was asked about pubs reopening and he said the public health doctors were very clear and have been very clear that while publicans might contend that opening the pubs because they are controlled environments he says there was various levels of control so I suppose saying some publicans some bars well able to do it but others are not he said the reality was that alcohol and social distancing simply do not go together you might have the best will in the world when you begin the evening 
and you go in there thinking I'm going to socially distance from everyone but then of course a few drinks set in and it kind of really just goes out the window. He was then asked about the street party scenes, the drinking that went on in Dublin and in Cork at the weekend and he said just because we have seen scenes like we did on the streets on Saturday night, he said that does not mean that the answer to that is to reopen the pubs because there was a call and certainly we discussed it yesterday when we were chatting about those scenes from Dublin and Cork and there was a number of our listeners said surely now when you see scenes like that, people want access to drink, people want to socialise, is it not the safest way to allow the bars to reopen and this argument that that's a controlled environment and you'll be able to watch what people are doing, watch what people are drinking rather than leave people out on the streets. He's saying no. He's saying that you watch those scenes. It does not justify the reason why pubs should open. He says the answer is people need to protect themselves and people need to protect others. People can be going meeting people for a drink like we saw on Saturday night then they'll bring COVID home, which can have serious consequences, maybe not for themselves, but they could pass it on to very vulnerable people. Now, Philip Nolan uh, was also speaking uh, yesterday, Professor Philip Nolan of Neffet. He said cases had stopped falling in the last six days and the infections, the ones that we've been seeing over the last six days, probably happened somewhere between the 2nd and the 9th of November. So that's when it kind of started to go wrong for us. Dr. Glynn asked people not to focus on the Christmas season but to concentrate instead on the basics of stopping coming into contact with others as much as possible. He said don't worry about what's going to be happening in the next few weeks. He said don't look forward. However when Neffert will be meeting Thursday week isn't it that's when the they will make recommendations based on the level of the virus and that obviously those recommendations next Thursday week will decide how much of the country is going to be able to open up for Christmas. The number of patients in intensive care, that's always an important, we watch that on a daily basis. That went up by two yesterday to 33. Number in hospital at the moment, 274 with the virus. We can take some comfort, I suppose, from that in that those numbers are not very high. The hospitals are not being swamped and certainly they're much lower them when they were at the peak of the first wave back in April and May and long, long may that those figures uh, continue. Rona Glynn says at best the spread of the virus has stalled but the number of indications are signaling that the situation is simply deteriorating, particularly looking back at the last uh, six days. Now, he asked to comment what was behind the setback. He said there was no one cause, but there appeared to be many small outbreaks across the country and a significant level then of community transmission where people simply are putting up their hands saying, I have no idea where I picked it up. I wasn't at a house party. I wasn't at any large gathering. I somehow was out and about trying to do my very best and somewhere along the line I ended up picking up COVID-19. Commenting on the reported the reported outbreaks linked to funeral gatherings. There's been a number of them around the country. Dr Ronan Glynn said any incidents in which people who knew each other or where they know each other, any instance where they meet up, he said there is a natural tendency to let our guards down. He said the last thing that people wanted was further deaths to occur particularly from a gathering of such a sad event as a funeral and then asked to comment on what happened in the what looked like street parties going on in Dublin and Cork at the weekend. He said it was frustrating for the vast majority who are doing the right thing and especially people who have been restricting their movements for such a long time. And that was the sense that we got in yesterday. 
when we started talking about it, there was a sense of frustration. You could see it from people. I don't know how many texts that I got in yesterday from people saying, I have been doing my very best. I'm so annoyed at the scenes I witnessed in Cork and in Dublin. We heard from people who've been, who have either themselves or have a family member who've literally been cocooning. They haven't come out of their door since March. They've no intention of coming out until a vaccine uh, is available. They're very frustrated uh, to see what's going on. And then, you know, there's others who love the idea of having family or having some kind of a Christmas and people worried that if the numbers are in jeopardy and if we are jeopardising the lowering of the COVID cases that will allow the country to open up if scenes like what happened is jeopardising that you can understand why people are very angry not just frustrated certainly there was some very angry phone calls uh, yesterday Dr Glynn then was asked about workplaces there has been outbreaks in workplaces some of them have been in food factories some have been in construction centres sector. There's been a range of manufacturing sites that have had COVID outbreaks but none of those outbreaks in themselves are particularly large and therefore that's making the job of identifying one target all the more different. There's kind of small clusters. Remember a cluster is where two or more. So you could have a manufacturing plant of 3,000 people and two or three people could get it but that is deemed uh, an outbreak. He said the reality is there's just lots and lots and lots of small clusters around the country and that is what is making it difficult to put in place a policy measure to simply stop it. He said the key thing that will stop that in the coming days is simple. It's people's behaviour. He said there had been a large hospital outbreak in Limerick and some of that had spread out into the community. There was also an outbreak in Limerick that was linked to student activity. They could pinpoint exactly where that started but he wouldn't speculate on what kind of recommendations Neffert would be making on Thursday week regarding the extent to which restrictions could be lifted. He also refused to comment in any way on proposals to ban takeaway pints. Now in the figures yesterday the four 156, 105 were in Dublin, 85 were in Limerick but I'm assuming that's to do with the large outbreak at the hospital going out into the community but also this an outbreak linked to student activity so that would explain Limerick's high number Cork's number again had been coming down, gone back up slightly again we were at 43 for uh, yesterday and the other thing actually that came out of yesterday's briefing was the number of children who have been given the flu vaccine. Now, there is no shortage of flu vaccines for children. This is the nasal spray. You need to go to your GP. As far as I know, the pharmacies who can give the adult flu vaccine when they have it, they're, they're not administering the children's vaccines, which is for two to 12 years. There has been a very low take up. Only 20% of children so far, their parents have taken them along to be given the flu vaccine. And I was surprised by that. I thought that figure would have been much higher because it is free. And uh, the HSC bought something like 600,000 doses. So there's every single GP practice in the country has this nasal flu vaccine so it doesn't in any way hurt or harm uh, children bearing in mind that Dr Glynn pointed out 500 children are hospitalised with flu every year. Flu can be really really serious in children but I think the main reason that the HSE are really pushing to get children the vaccine against flu this year is the hope that they would stop the spread. I mean a lot of children will pick up flu. I mean okay 500 is a lot of children end up in the hospital. The majority of them would just be sick for a few days and then they'd be fine but what they were trying to do is, is to stop children children spreading the flu between each other and then some children bringing it home and if those children had vulnerable 
members of family or if granny's coming to visit for Christmas or they're going to visit granny over Christmas, they just don't want children passing the flu on to others and that's one of the reasons there was a big push by the HSE. So I was really surprised to hear that only 20% of families have opted to take their children along. Then that nasal flu vaccine is still available by the way at all GPs if you haven't uh, done it yet and it is free. The only thing is the early indications so far and the predictions are that as we continue to try to prevent the spread of COVID-19 with all of the hand washing that's going on and the social distancing that's going on and the wearing of face masks more than anything else uh, is helping to block the spread of flu so far this season. There's been little or no cases of flu identified and let's hope, let's keep fingers crossed that it continues that way between that and then the combination of children getting their flu vaccine and adults when it becomes available. There's still a lot in the at-risk group still waiting to get their vaccine for flu this year. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103103. I was talking about the flu vaccine for children, this nasal spray that's available and it is completely free of charge uh, but yet only 20% of children so far has been, have been given the free nasal flu vaccine and I was surprised at the low number. I thought it would have been higher and I also thought it was only you had to go to your GP practice to get it but thank you to a listener to say Hi Patricia, my son got the flu vaccine in Reen's Pharmacy in Mill Street, rang for an appointment and there was no problem. Okay, thank you. So you don't even have to go to your GP practice, you can get it from your local uh, chemist but like what that listener did I would suggest and he's 10 I would suggest that you go it's for two it's the vaccine is for two to 12 year olds uh, so I would suggest like that listener did there ring them in, in advance and make your appointment and then you can bring your children uh, along okay some of your other texts morning wishing you a jolly day full of laughter isn't that a lovely message thank you for that covert and drinking I was thinking last night nobody mentions that people who ignore the rules are not just putting themselves and others at harm but they're also ruining businesses and they're putting people out of work maybe even their own families and their and themselves have they thought about any of that? Probably not. Hi Patricia, if people want to go out gathering and socialising in large crowds, then they are the very ones who must not complain when Christmas is cancelled this year due to rising numbers of COVID-19. We are asked to confirm by, we are asked to conform, but by ignoring that advice, they have selfishly put the whole country at risk. Is it now time to make it mandatory to introduce the wearing of masks at all times, even outdoors? How many people have we heard call for that? And then another text says uh, Corona, this is talking about coronavirus. No one has mentioned schools. Every day, hundreds of teenagers at lunchtime, end of the day, are in and out of shops, no masks, they're all mixing freely and then going home to spread if they do pick up COVID-19. I know they need education, but it really does need looking into. And Mary says, hi, Patricia, there are too many house parties still happening in this country. I know for a fact, says Mary, that there was a party two weeks ago in West Cork with a gathering of about 15 people. The party, by the way, wasn't for any specific reason. 
it wasn't anyone's birthday. It was just a social gathering for the sake of having a social gathering. That to me is only disrespect for others. It is disgusting. Thanking you, says Mary. And Meg says, how can it be that there was no breach of regulations at the weekend? And this was the Gardaí who said when they attended the scenes in both Cork City and in Dublin, they requested the people to disperse. And then they, I know they maintained a presence in the area, but they said there was no breaches of regulations was uh, detected. And I know reading in the Irish Independent today that there is concern among ministers that existing regulations banning on-street drinking in the capital, in Dublin, in Cork City, we spoke about it, it is illegal to drink on the street in uh, Cork City, that that is not being enforced. Sources point to existing rules which... uh, which restrict the consumption of alcohol on the streets and it's suggested that enforcement of those regulations should be ramped up given the ongoing pandemic. And it was Councillor Des Cal who joined us in the programme yesterday to say yes, he was able to tell us exactly when they introduced bylaws in Cork City that says if you're caught drinking on the street you can be fined. It's in some of the county towns as well. I don't know what the fines are for us here in Cork. I know for example Dublin City Council and their bylaws you can be fined €75 for outdoor drinking away from approved areas. Obviously there are some areas out when wet bars and restaurants are allowed to open. There's some like smoking areas or areas where there's a canopy with some tables and chairs. You know, outside a building you're allowed to drink there obviously but you're not allowed to stand out in the middle of the footpath or out in the street drinking and if you are you can be fined. So when the Gardaí say there was no breaches of regulations were detected I'm assuming they were saying there was no breaches of COVID-19 regulations but others are saying okay they might have breached COVID-19 regulations but surely they're breaching, they are breaching regulations whereby there's bylaws saying they shouldn't be drinking on the streets. So why weren't they all fined? And if enough people were fined and the word got out that enough people were fined, would it deter others from deciding to go out next Saturday night? 1850 John Paul taking your calls. We're going to t- text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 Now we had many frustrated and angry callers to the programme yesterday reacting to the video footage showing many revellers drinking on the streets in both Dublin and Cork city centres at the weekend. To get the reaction of Cork publicans, I'm joined by Michael O'Donovan of the Cork branch of the Vintners Federation of uh, Ireland. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Um, I'm very well, uh, thank you. Did you see the video footage and what was your initial reaction to it? Yeah, look, I, 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 of course I did. I saw the video footage of Dublin and the pictures that were circulating on social media uh, in Cork. Um, I suppose, look, to be honest, uh, initially um, I was kind of, uh, I suppose, taken aback by the pictures and the revelations um, of it. And then, I suppose, Sunday I called uh, the publicans here around Cork City and spoke with them and asked them for their uh, reaction and what had happened. And um, after talking with them, you know, uh, they all thought as well. And I suppose a lot of them shut down their operations early Saturday evening when they saw people gathering in the city. And I think it's been well flagged now on uh, social media and on media outlets for the last 24 hours that a lot of people had uh, purchased alcohol in different places, uh, multiples around the city and got taxis into town and gathered. Yes, there was some of the bars uh, during the takeaway point, um, but they all had their signage up to move the 100 metres away 
and asked people to do it. And um, look, it was disappointing that there was large gatherings, but um, sometimes, look, I suppose uh, when you look at the pictures and the age demographic that was in it, uh, they were all kind of a young 20-something age bracket. I think we forget that these people, uh, these young people have had nothing, I suppose, to, to do for the last four weeks. So I suppose it was unfortunate it happened and it all happened on the one on a one night, but um, um, hopefully we learn from this scenario and it mightn't happen again going forward. And are there many Cork City pubs selling takeaway drink? Um, at the, it's less than 10% to be Is honest it? of our yeah. membership. Yeah, it's, it's, it's roughly around 24 bars from my uh, calculations from the weekend out of 212 that are doing it here in the city and the suburbs. So it's quite a small minority that are doing it. And even at that, of that minority, most of them are doing pick and collect for food. So people pull up, collect their food, collect their drink and go home. Um, in the city then, you have uh, the bars doing tea, coffee. They're doing like hot ports, hot whiskies, hot punch. And people collect it during the day or even the evening and walk around town, uh, going to shops. And it's just to keep them warm. And look, I understand from these premises, they're under severe financial pressure from landlords, especially rental, lease uh, properties. Um, and like they have to try and make, uh, I suppose, a turnover to try and pay some of the bills and keep a few staff employed. Yeah, I saw one publican quoted that, you know, the businesses that are doing it, they're, they're trying to keep their businesses ticking over. It's not that they're doing it to make a mad profit. Yeah, look, there's no profit being made from it. It's basically trying to pay a few staff and I suppose crucially uh, keep the, the rent for the property paid or if they have a, a bank loan um, just even the interest, a lot of them are just on interest only uh, loans so they're just trying to pay the few bills keep the doors open so that when we get to whenever it be December, January, February, whenever we get to open properly that they'll be still in business and able to get, to, uh, get through to that period. Some of our listeners, Michael, yesterday when we were discussing it, called for pubs to reopen, saying at least you will then have controlled drinking. Is there an argument to be made for that, do you think? Look, it, it is. We've, we've said it, uh, like all pubs, restaurants, hospitality across the board from the 1st of December should be open um, um, for both indoor and outdoor. Um, look, if the, the Taoiseach and the government have said quite plainly that it's going to be level three, on the 1st of December, if we're, if we're looking at that on the current roadmap, level three is just 15 people outdoors. That's just not, uh, it's not viable. And like for, uh, again, it would be over 90% of our members would be closed at that because they just wouldn't have the capability uh, or the option of doing outdoor, um, you know, dining or outdoor drinking for the month of December. It, it's not too comfortable. Look, it's Ireland on a cold, wet night in December. Would you like to be sitting outdoors for an hour? Mm. And like you could have the best heaters, you could have the best windbreakers, canopies. It's still going to be cold and it's, it's not an attractive option. So that's why uh, we said from the 1st of December, we should all be open. It's a very controlled environment. I think people have seen that from the September when we were all open. We've contact tracing. There's the spacing um, in the bars and it's, it's controlled. And the numbers prove okay. what we're hearing of um, possibly opening in the middle of December, on the 16th of December, for two weeks. That just wouldn't be an option or, or a runner, really, for the vast majority yeah, this, of Yeah, this notion that's been spoken about where you'd open for two weeks for Christmas, 
uh, and then possibly close again. Is that a complete non-runner? It would be for the vast majority of us because, um, look, to open for two weeks, you have all the costs involved in getting back open. And then you have also, um, I suppose, the the worry about closing again, having stock left at the end like we had in, in September. You make a, a huge financial loss on it. Um, and then, I suppose, look, there's another side to it at the moment. We have the CRSS. It's a subsidy payment paid to any business that is closed. While it doesn't meet all our weekly outgoings, because even when the pub is closed, we still have our utility bills, our lighting, our heating, uh, our broadband telephones, our credit card machine. You still have your insurance to pay because it's commercial premises. Um, so you have all these outgoings on a weekly uh, basis. We are getting a subsidy towards it. It doesn't cover it all. But, you know, at least it's a help in it. So even if we're closed, um, we're, we're, we're surviving and our business will be there as a, again if we get to open in January or February. So if we open, we lose that subsidy and there's such, there, there'll be the uncertainty again if we close in January. Uh, would these, these subsidies might be there? So there's a real fear um, of that happening. And what is your gut instinct, Michael? You almost sound like... You, you you feel you won't be open for Christmas? Look, it, it's very mixed at the moment, I suppose, where we are now. Um, it's not looking good for the 1st of December with the way the numbers are. Um, uh, we've seen, you know, the last, I suppose, week, it's staying around 400 uh, new cases a day. So I think the 1st of December is only a little over two weeks away. Um, it, it's, it's looking, I suppose, becoming more unlikely that we're going to be open for indoor um, trading and dining potentially uh, on the 1st of December. And like I'd worry then because, as I said, the 16th of December, if that date is, is muted, it's just it's just too difficult to do it, I think. And are you talking, is your, your, your sense both wet pubs and restaurants? Um, well, look, I, I can't answer that. I don't know for the restaurants... Um, government would have to, I suppose, make that decision. Look, I, I hope that look, even for myself personally, you'd hope that there's some uh, bit of activity for Christmas uh, to give people some social outlet, but as we are at the moment, the soundings coming out from government aren't too good on that, I think. And even Neffet uh, yesterday, uh, Dr. Roland Glynn, you know, saying that the reality was alcohol and social distancing do not go together. That doesn't yeah. bode well when you, when you hear statements like that. Yeah, when you hear statements like that, and look, we we won't know until the 27th of November what exactly the Cabinet are thinking, because that's the day that they're meeting to make this, I suppose, final decision for what happens uh, coming out of the current uh, lockdown. But I suppose soundings at the moment from Neffet and from politicians, you, you would be concerned in the hospitality sector. OK, all right. And how are you doing yourself, Michael? Oh, sure, look, it's it's like anything, it's um, it's a worrying time. Look, I'm like no no other publican or, I suppose, person working in hospitality. I have a young family. Christmas is a concern. Um, cause there's, a, there's a lot of things to be bought during the month of November and December. So, look, when you're not working, um, it, it's just a tough time. It's a difficult time. It is indeed. It is indeed. Listen, you look after yourself and we'll, we'll speak again. But in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us.
No problem, Patricia. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Michael O'Donovan, who is the chair of the Cork branch of the Vintners Federation of uh, Ireland. And you get the sense that he sees the writing on the wall, that his gut instinct is telling him it's not looking like pubs will reopen in time for Christmas. Well, as... Uh, Ronan Glynn and Neffert saying yesterday the message coming out is people have two weeks now to save Christmas and turn around the, what is now seen as a lockdown setback within a way the numbers are going is two weeks is it enough I don't know 1850 just by the way on weather I've just seen this come in strong winds will be expected here in Cork tomorrow as Met Aaron is issuing a status yellow wind warning the alert will be in operation from 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon until the early hours of Thursday morning. Met Aaron is forecasting gusts of up to 100 kilometres an hour and there's also a risk of coastal flooding. Okay, so that is a status yellow wind warning in place for Cork from 3 o'clock tomorrow Wednesday until the early hours of Thursday morning. Batten down the hatches, guys. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, Fine Gael councillor Eileen Lynch is calling on the HSE to give the go-ahead to recruit a new doctor for the town of McCroom because existing GP surgeries are full to the brim. Councillor Eileen Lynch uh, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Eileen. Morning, Patricia. Uh, how many GPs uh, ha- are operating at the moment in the town of McCroom? There is currently seven GPs out of four surgeries. Now, one of those GPs is a locum who's been um, covering since Dr. Burke retired in September of 19. So you have six day permanent GPs and one locum. But the locum has has been in place since Dr. Burke retired. Yeah, and we're that, that's the gist of the question which I've raised with the Gort Kerry HSE forum on Thursday as to when we'll have a permanent replacement for Dr. Burke um, because the lack of certainty would have a locum both for the locum himself yeah. and for the community, you know, it, it, it's not good enough for the town. We're looking at a situation whereby no surgery in the town is currently taking on patients. So even if the, the locum position is made permanent, mm. you, still, you still need another doctor. Oh, absolutely. I would argue that at the moment, initially, we need two new doctors in the town. So I think the first step is to appoint a permanent doctor and to replace Dr. Burke. And if possible, to get a second doctor in that surgery. And, you know, that option needs to be looked at. But again, this is what we need in the short term, I think, because within the next um, nine months, you'll have upwards of 100 houses in McCroom. You have uh, four social housing developments. You have one private housing development. Um, and that's upward of 100 houses, 100 families and no GP services available for them. Even if you put on average three people in every house, that could be 300 extra people looking for a GP to sign up to. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a massive volume. And if you're looking at it then geographically, you have GP services in Ballivorney, which are to capacity, it seems, also in culture to capacity. You have GP in Ballancolic, GP in Mill Street. They're your closest services outside of McCroom Town. And the issue which you're seeing at the moment then um, is South Dock services in the town were cut during COVID earlier in the year. They were reinstated, but they're provided on a basis of six to nine every evening. So basically people are now using them as an alternative to GP services. And that's never what South Dock was put in place to do. Absolutely not. That That's not the intention of South Dock. But I mean, I don't blame people for doing that. They literally have no alternative at the moment. And it's an issue which has been highlighted time and time again 
but it's coming to the point now where, as I said, we're looking at upwards of 100 new houses in the town between now and this time next year, um, and there's not enough services for these people. And, it's and that's, that and that's even now. if you take out those 100 new houses. Mm. At the moment, you're saying there were people who, who have not got a GP. They've tried local surgeries who are all close to new patients. Yeah, there, there is no surgery in McCream taken on new patients at the moment. That's incredible. And then if they're all using the South Dock services, people who don't have a GP, people who genuinely do need to use the South Dock service must be facing delays. Yes, there's a there's, knock-on. There's, there's a knock-on effect of that. And as I said, since the service has been reinstated in McCroom, it's on lesser hours. So it's only 6 until 9pm. And after that, then you're looking at Bandon, I suppose, is our closest one here. Um, but yeah, there's less of those services available, both because there's less time-wise, as I said, it's just 6 to 9 but also there's a higher demand on it now than what there was previously. Um, and I think one thing that we did learn during COVID, you know, as a nation, is that maybe GP services are probably, you know, used for maybe things that they don't have to be, that you can go directly to a hospital for or directly to um, an outpatient appointment for. Um, and I think we need to learn from what we have seen over the past few months to make our GP services more efficient. But in the immediate short term in McCroom, we need two new doctors. Absolutely. I'm just thinking of parents with a sick child waiting around for South Dock to open with a child with a raging temperature. It's just just hell to ask people to do that. It's it's incredible. And, you know, every single day there's new people in McCroom looking for a doctor and the services just aren't there. And I, you know, we, we have a national difficulty in terms of um, appointing full-time GPs. And, you know, you have a lot of locums in place. Um, but it, it's a situation that we need to deal with. And do we and know why? Do we know why there's an issue in appointing GPs? I think a lot of GPs would argue it's the lifestyle argument. You know, currently I think the public-private patient system, the deal that's associated with that for GPs is being reviewed. So hopefully that may give them more favourable terms. Um, but I think lack of consultation with GPs is a massive issue and one which needs to be resolved sharpish in order to fix the larger issues of shortage of GPs across the country. Okay, and you're hoping to bring up this issue uh, of the GP appointments at the HSC Regional Health Board meeting. That's tomorrow, isn't it? Uh, it's on Thursday. Thursday, okay. Yeah. So you're hoping to raise it. Uh, we will we will wait with interest to see what reply uh, you get. But let's just end on a positive news. There was some good news from Recroom Community Hospital this week. Uh, building is starting on the hospital, so it'll be... Planning permission was granted last year and you've 24 new rooms so that development is starting at the moment so that, that's great news for the town that we've positive positive news and building is starting there. Yeah, because it was pointed out by HICWA wasn't it that residents there was Yeah, there was um, a privacy issue carried out the idea for last um, and there was there was a lot of issues with the rooms but thankfully that's all been uh, resolved now and the new development will provide 24 single rooms and all existing more to become three bedroom rooms. Brilliant, brilliant. So that, that really is good news. Okay, listen, Eileen, thank you for that and uh, good luck with raising the issue at the HSE Regional Health Board meeting. But thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, McCroom Councillor Eileen Lynch, 1850-333-103. A text in from listeners saying, Hi, Patricia, will beauticians open on the 1st of December? Uh, thanking you. And somebody else is saying something similar, saying, when will they let hair 
dressers and nail bars. When are they going to reopen? I can't get an appointment for December, says somebody else. The hope is that when we come out, if we come out of level five, the idea would be we'd move back into level three and under level three, we, hairdressers were open and beauticians were open and nail bars uh, were open. But nobody knows. Nobody knows where we're going at the start of December. We won't know for definite until next Thursday week. That's next Thursday week is when Neffert will make the recommendations and they will make their recommendations based on the level of virus as to how much will open up in the run-up to uh, Christmas. That's why when I was saying earlier that we have two weeks to save Christmas and turn around the lockdown setback, it isn't just about socialising at Christmas. This is a knock-on effect for all of those businesses like hairdressers, like beauticians, all of the retail uh, shops, the gyms, etc. There's a lot of other businesses who are desperately waiting and ready to go on the 1st of December if if we move out of level five. So it'll all depend on how we as a country, how we handle the spread of COVID-19 over the next uh, two weeks, 18. So I can't say for sure to those listeners, will the beauticians and will the hairdressers open on the 1st of December? If you speak to hairdressers and beauticians and nail technicians, they're saying, yes, absolutely. They hope to reopen on the 1st of September, but they're waiting. They won't get that nod until Thursday week. 1850 We've got Sadie and John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. This is Court Today. Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hits. C103. Spoke with Sharon Mullins of Feed Cork earlier this month. Wonderful, wonderful uh, community group that help people who are in food poverty. And Sharon had joined us on the programme. They were have been predominantly a city-based uh, charity, but she joined us because they were starting to open up a food bank in for Bandon and for the West Cork uh, regions. Well, I've just been told that appointments have been taken now for three o'clock this Thursday. So if you're in need of food, if you're suffering from food poverty in the Bandon or surrounding areas, you can call 089 226-9408 or you can message Feed Cork on their Facebook page. They'll be working out of the town hall in uh, Bandon at the back uh, around the back on the lower floor. There'll be signage up for people to follow and if you're going along the, you know, they'll ask people to bring your own shopping bags with you obviously and you will need to wear a face mask but we just want to get the message out. If there's anybody listening to us in the Bandon surrounding areas suffering from food poverty and it is so sad to think that in 2020 that I'd even have to put the shout out to people who may be listening to us hungry today or who may have children at school and they know that when the children come home from school there's not going to be enough food or they won't have enough food to last the week or they won't have enough food until they get paid again or until they pick up their social welfare payment. It's just, it just saddens me to the core of my being to think that that's happening in this country but unfortunately that is the sad reality and that's why we have organisations like Feed Cork. They're wonderful. So just to get that message out to anybody listening to us or if you know of somebody who you think could benefit from getting some of these foods they make them up into sort of like they're almost like food hampers and I think it's their family packs and it should feed a family for three days that's the way generally speaking that they operate no questions asked there's no nobody will be asking what your financial situation is or how you've ended up in this situation if you put the call in and you say I need help 
they will be there to help you. So 089-226-9408, 029-226-9408. And as I say, they will be handing the food out on Thursday from three o'clock at the Town Hall in Bandic. And we wish everybody good luck with that. OK, some of your comments coming in on pubs and the reopening of pubs and drinking and the socialisation that has happened at the weekend and people drinking out in the streets in the city centres of Dublin and uh, Cork. Ed in Carrigaline and then I'd Michael Donovan on from the Fitness Federation just getting their thoughts on from the publican's point of view when do they expect to reopen. They all had hoped that they would be opening on the 1st of December but people are kind of looking now. Definitely I don't think we're going to see a pub open on the 1st of December. Maybe there will be two weeks before uh, Christmas but publicans themselves are saying that that's not going to be ideal that's not going to work for many publicans they won't be able to simply just reopen for two weeks and then close again because financially it wouldn't be viable for them Ed in Carrigaline says how can you keep social distancing after a couple of pints pubs should simply remain closed Ed is going so far as to say until next March don't even talk about don't even look at opening at pubs or restaurants that serve alcohol Uh, Ed is 100% against the opening of them and I feel there's probably a number of other listeners to the programme today Ed who probably would agree with Ed in Carrigaline that we shouldn't even be talking about the opening of pubs we should be going along the line of what Dr Ronan Glynn himself said that alcohol and social distancing simply do not go together and wasn't it Tony Houlihan who previously said coronavirus's best friend is alcohol. So for that reason we should just leave it, park it and don't even look at pubs reopening until next March. Neve said that she was in a city bar this was a gastro bar when they were serving food at the time it was back during the summer when we had a bit of normality to life and staycationing was happening and we seemed to be really keeping the numbers of coronavirus low. Unfortunately, that didn't stay well for us. But back at that time when you were able to go out to restaurants, etc. And she said she clearly remembers being in a city bar, having her meal, sitting down, chatting with her friends and who she was with. And she noticed that some guys from another table got up and they walked over to chat to somebody else at another table. As soon as they did, a member of the staff were over saying, excuse me, folks, you need to sit down at your own table. And she said the young guys straight away did and went back to their seats. She said you can do social distancing once people abide by the rules and regulations. You can have people going out for a few drinks and having a a meal Uh, and it does work. So she's seen it in action that it works before. So I suppose she's one of the people who feels that the bars should be allowed to open, that they have proven that they can do it and they have done it in the past. But Jimmy on our Twitter at C103 Cork uh, says, many feel when the pubs reopened, why were a certain amount not controlled? Why did some open as restaurants and hand out receipts for food when really they weren't serving food at all. They were getting the equivalent in pints. Why did many allow and tolerate GAA gatherings and breaches of guidelines brought by this? The pubs got their chance, says Jimmy. Many of them flouted the guidelines and they've proven that they cannot be trusted. And there's the opposite side. There's Jimmy saying that there, and yeah, there, there were, and Jimmy is probably right, there were people who, who didn't get it right and did flout all the laws and didn't really care once the, their tills were ringing. But as Neve says on the other side she saw it work and where it worked in action and I certainly was in 
some some restaurant stroke bars during the period of time when they when they were open and I can't say on any occasion when I went out would I say I felt uncomfortable because if I felt uncomfortable I simply would have left and everybody seemed to have been abiding by the rules but you will always get some you absolutely will always get some where it's just not going to uh, happen at all okay some of your Texts coming in to uh, us. Uh, Mavis says, I think people have got to understand that this year is very difficult. Folks are obsessed with Christmas. I love it more than anybody else, but I am prepared to still celebrate on a much smaller scale this year. And I'm willing to do it without our families in the hope that next year we'll all be alive, please God, to enjoy it with our family and friends. During the 1918 Spanish pandemic, people had no choice. They had no phones, no TVs, no computers. How did they cope? And cope they did. And also bearing in mind, they were coming out of the back of a world war. I think there are a lot of selfish people about at the moment, says Mavis. They only think of themselves. Let's get through this and stop moaning. I looked after people who had been in Japanese prisoner of war camps and they'd actually fought in two world wars. They had no counselling in those days and yet they got on with life to the best of their ability. That's from Mavis. Thank you for that, Mavis, and hope that you are keeping well and continue continue to keep well. Hi Patricia on COVID-19. Does anyone think about the people that have tested positive and are being treated almost like they've some kind of plague? After all, it is a worldwide pandemic and telling other people to keep away from that family, which can be very hurtful and they don't seem to care about how sick you are. And then to get some really ignorant people ringing up the family just to make sure they do have COVID-19 so they can keep well away from you. It can be very, very uh, hurtful. And some people are actually very slow to even say that they have COVID-19 because they almost fear the backlash, which is very unfortunate because we know that it's out in the community. We know people who are doing everything right are still picking, picking it up. And yet everyone gets tired with the one brush. If you pick it up, you must have done something wrong. How and when did you pick it up? And there's lots of people. I mean, I even mentioned it from the Neffet meeting yesterday, the number of cases out in the community where people have scratching their heads. They have no idea how they picked it up. So nobody should be pointing the finger of blame at uh, anyone. And I assume from that text that you've had COVID or there's COVID in your household. Uh, we hope you're recovering and that you are doing well. Tim says at the beginning of the interview with Michael O'Donovan of the Vintners uh, Federation, he said some people people brought drink elsewhere and brought it with them into the city centre as I heard it. Yes, he did say that. Is that not typical absolving from blame by a spokesperson for an interest group? You never put to publicans how much they made over the past 30 years and how aware they were of money going into tills instead of some of that money being spent on food for children, clothes and uh, toys out of reach to some families because of addiction, I'm assuming, Tim, is what you're talking about uh, there. Hi Patricia, why don't people sit back and enjoy a peaceful, quiet Christmas? Stop thinking about the virus. Just do what we would have done long ago and enjoy the season. Who knows? It may even snow, says a texter. And then Rob from West Cork says, why are so many of your listeners petrified of COVID-19? It's not a death sentence. Now Rob says less than 1% of people who get it actually die. I'll have to fact check you on that, Rob, in a moment. Uh, Or even get 
get seriously ill. If your listeners, including me, had a diagnosis in the morning of COVID or cancer, I would take COVID any time. More people, as many as up to 30 people die from cancer every day in Ireland. Why are they not giving out those numbers every night? COVID is not a death sentence. And as a radio station, you should get that across to your listeners. They are at bigger risk of dying from a fall this winter than COVID. That's from Rob in West Cork. We've had several outbreaks here in nursing homes and the majority have recovered and thank God that the majority have recovered. But just on the th- your, on your to fact check you, which you must do, Rob, when you look at the number of people who die from COVID-19 who get diagnosed and how they do that is it's the number of reported deaths divided by the number of reported cases and it's currently running at between 3 and 4%, slightly higher in some countries, but I think in this country it runs at between 3 and uh, 4%. And to the people who say more people die from, from the flu every year than die from COVID, that's not true. The number of people who die from flu every year is at 0.1%. Uh, so there are a number of people die. And yes, you are right, Rob, in the majority majority of people, if we go even with the higher figure of say 4% die, that means 96% of people who get COVID will recover and they won't uh, die. Not all will fully recover. Some will be left with life changing uh, issues. We've seen people who have ended up on kidney dialysis machines from COVID. We've seen other people ended up with breathing problems. I know John Paul is working on tracking down a gentleman who's ended up, it might seem a bit silly but difficult to live with, absolutely zero taste or smell. It has never returned. And then other people, mild symptoms and they'll bounce back and they're absolutely uh, perfect. But we can't take the risk of it's almost like you're running with the herd immunity, Rob. Just let it run through and sure, if it kills 4%, it kills 4% and sure the rest of us uh, will be fine and uh, dandy. I think this government and a lot of governments all over the world have decided they're not going to do that. They're not going to let the vulnerable hang out, be, be hung out to dry. They're not going to allow all of the people in nursing homes and people in at-risk groups and people who suffer from emphysema or COPD, uh, people who have immune system compromised because of cancer, they're not going to let all of those uh, people die. They have to do uh, something about it, whether we like it or not. And none of us like the idea of lockdown. None of us like the idea of living the way we are living, but we're doing it for the greater good. 1850 And thank you uh, for your text. And just on GPs, when we were talking about GPs in the last hour, Margaret is making the point. We were talking about the town of McCroom. And I don't know if this is the same in, in other areas as well but McCroom seems to be particularly badly affected. There's literally no surgery in the town of McCroom that's taking on new patients. They're all full to capacity. They've one locum working who replaced Dr Burke who retired in, Dr Burke required in 2018 uh, in McCroom. He still hasn't been fully replaced but even if that locum gets made permanent they still need another GP even just for now for the population base, let alone the 100 new houses that are going to come into the area and the population that they're going to bring. We have a problem with GP surgeries. While it's, it seems to be acute in McCroom at the moment, I think it's, it's, it's also rearing its ugly head in other towns as well around the county and indeed around the country. Margaret is making the point that not many medical graduates, graduates want to go into general practice and therefore that is the uh, problem and somebody else says they cannot appoint GPs why they are simply not available we need to be 
trying to encourage more of the young doctors as they train up, try to encourage them to go into GP practice. But for whatever reason, it just it doesn't seem to be the job that they want to do, possibly because of the stresses and strains associated with it. 1850 333 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Counter sales assistant is required. That's for a busy hardware store. It's on the north side of Cork City. While a general assistant is wanted, it's for a busy scrap metal recycling yard uh, in uh, the North Cork area. Apple Green in Mallow, they're looking for a retail forecourt site manager while an apprentice tune maker is required for Charleville. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. For today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. Now Fianna Fáil MEP Billy Kelleher is calling on the Department of Foreign Affairs to initiate negotiations at EU and World Health Organisation level on developing a passport COVID stamp to demonstrate vaccination against the virus. And MEP uh, Billy Kelleher joins me. Good morning to you Billy. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. So is your your idea for a COVID stamp, this would help people who need to travel to different countries. Is that your thinking behind this? Yes, I mean, it's not, I'm not reinventing the wheel. There's already a yellow card uh, in place whereby if you are travelling to some countries, there's an obligation on you to get vaccinated in advance of travelling to those countries. And uh, there is a card that you carry with you that indicates you have been vaccinated by a a reputable uh, health professional. So, I mean, the idea here would be that as as we move into a situation where some of the populations across the globe will be vaccinated, but not everybody will be vaccinated because they they may not be able to access it in time or they may not want to be vaccinated, some countries will probably obligate people to either, uh, when visiting or flying into a country, show that they're vaccinated or else self-isolate for uh, a required period of time. And I think if there was an international recognised stamp, as is the case with the yellow card, uh, attached to your passport, well, then that would facilitate uh, easier movements of people. So in other words, if a person from Ireland wanted to go to a country, uh, if they are vaccinated, they could show that they were vaccinated and they would be exempted from quarantine or from self-isolation. Now, depending on the rules of the country you're going to, but many countries will uh, I imagine, uh, insist on quarantining uh, if you have uh, not been vaccinated. So it, it really is to facilitate international travel, to make it safer and to put the mechanism in place so that when it gets to a stage where the vaccination is available to the general population across the globe, but not everybody is vaccinated or not everybody will use the vaccination process, that at least people would be able to travel and identify those that have been vaccinated. They would be exempted from quarantining and those that aren't vaccinated well then that is a decision that they make. They either go and quarantine for a period of time or else remain uh, at home. So, or as uh, you say, some countries may simply refuse you entry unless you've been vaccinated. Yes, I mean, like Australia at the moment, for example, uh, obliges a person, and now as many Australian citizens who are returning home, there's a certain a number of people allowed into Australia every week or every month. Uh, they're primarily returning Australian citizens, and they are obligated to um, quarantine for 14 days at their own cost, uh, which could be up to um, 2,800 
uh, Australian dollars over a 14-day period. In other words, when they fly into the country that they get permission first, they then have to go to a designated hotel uh, that's uh, agreed by the government and you must stay there for 14 days under strict quarantine. Now, I would anticipate over a period of time as uh, vaccines become more prevalent and available across the globe that some countries would lift that restriction if you are vaccinated, Mm. uh, but if you're not, well, then you'd have to quarantine. And there's not much point in people being vaccinated if they can't avail of that advantage. Do you know if any other country is talking about a COVID stamp on a passport? Well, I think we should indicate, initiate the discussions. I mean, obviously, the ideal way to do this would be through the European Union uh, and, and the World Health Organization. So, in other words, the Irish government would, uh, you know, look at this, tease it out very, very quickly. Bearing in mind, you know, I mean, there's 1.3 million people have died uh, because of COVID-related Ill- illnesses uh, across the planet. Um, 54 million people have contracted the disease. So countries are going to still be very, very strict in terms of entry policy, uh, even when there is a vaccination program being rolled out across the planet. Uh, Ireland is an open economy. It's, you know, it, it trades globally. We have a very transient population in terms of people going abroad and people coming to our country. And I think that if we are to avail of the potential that a vaccine could offer in the time ahead. I'm not talking about an advance of Christmas now being quite truthful. This would be a, lo- a longer, medi- medium-term uh, policy, but it certainly would be something that would be of great benefit to Ireland, to our citizens, and equally to, to global citizens as well, that they would be able to identify uh, the, that they have received a vaccination, that they are you know, safe to travel, and that they won't impact on uh, local populations. And that can only be good for everybody, the air industry, but more importantly for people's uh, ability to move around the globe and for tourism and for business. Yeah and the idea of having it on your passport in order to get into a country you have to have your passport with you so it makes sense to actually use the passport. Yes I mean like look I mean if you didn't have a a robust system in place that would um, uh, you know uh, diminish the chances of fraud and forgery um, you know it would have to be attached I think to your passport or to a passport or, or card or uh, the information would have to be at a very high standard. Otherwise, you couldn't expect um, countries just to accept a, a printed version of uh, some statement from a doctor saying that you got a, mm-hmm. um, a vaccination. It would have to be at an internationally, uh, globally recognised standard. And I think that would either be the passport or possibly the yellow card that is issued by the World Health Organisation. But I think the passport probably would be the, the most ideal way of doing that. And that in itself, I think, would really allow countries to... Um, you know, open up quickly um, and effectively, but most importantly, safely. And some people have said to me, oh, well, you're forcing people to get vaccinations or you're denying people the right not to have a vaccination. There's no denying the, the right to not to be vaccinated. But what that means is that you would not necessarily be able to go straight into a country. You might have to quarantine or self-isolate for 14 days on going to a country or if you're coming from a country to Ireland uh, well then the the same would be required um, self-isolation for 14 days or else uh, vaccination so I think it's something the Irish government should tease out very very quickly with the European Union and um, thereafter with the the World Health Organization and if that was put in place because we could be a number of years before we have an intensive rollout of the vaccine to the entire global population bear in mind there's 7.8 billion people on the planet, you know, um, there will be a priority, I presume, of, of the vaccine being given to the vulnerable cohort, to healthcare workers, uh, and then that it will be based on um, uh, risk assessment of the population. And until such time as there is a global uh, 
vaccine uptake, well, then countries are going to, I think, put restrictions in place. And the best way to avail of, of um, you know, an easy passage would be if you were stamped on the passport that you've had the vaccinations, that you, you know, you were able to enter a country, uh, depending on their local rules, obviously. I mean, Ireland may still have uh, obligations. It will be up to every country, but at least it would facilitate countries being able to discern who is safe, uh, who's had a vaccination and who will be obligated to self-isolate or quarantine if they're not vaccinated. And I think you're right to be talking about it now in advance of the vaccine starting to be rolled out. You know, have all your ducks lined up so that you're ready to go with this. Yes, I mean, it would be a shame if we had the, the vaccination programme in place and it's rolling out over the next number of years. Um, and still countries, because they're unable to identify with certainty who is and who isn't vaccinated, um, you know, that they would have to keep their borders closed and that everybody going to a country would have to uh, self-isolate for, for, for the period of, of time. I mean, that would, um, you know, diminish, I suppose, uh, the, the issue around... The, purpose of the vaccination, number one, is to uh, ensure that we have uh, global health standards, that we have people that are vaccinated so they won't contract the disease, and then people that are vaccinated so they won't transmit the disease. And, um, you know, if you don't have some form of identification purpose in place, well, then governments, uh, health officials, uh, and the travel industry would be obligated to continue to insist on quarantining rules uh, for everybody, even though those uh, that are vaccinated would be safe. Okay. I'm just talking to travellers. Are you worried about an influx of people coming home for Christmas from other countries? Does that worry well, clearly, you? Clearly, look, I mean, people have to be responsible. I mean, if people do come home, I mean, the, the advice at the moment is not to book flights. The, the advice at the moment is that it's too early to um, indicate that people uh, should come home. But, like, some people will make that decision. The clear issue is if you do, you, you have to um, uh, self-isolate. That is the, the clear um, guidelines. Uh, testing is part and parcel, I think, of you know uh, diminishing your risk, but the obligation is still to, to self-isolate or to restrict your movements for 14 days if you do come from another country at the moment. So all in all, you know, you'd hope that everybody would play their part um, in ensuring that um, we don't have another upsurge just after Christmas again. But, you know, individuals have to make their own decisions. Uh, Very often there might be very real human issues behind travel, but in the event of people doing so, um, you know, um, they have to uh, comply with the health guidelines, which is to self-isolate for 14 days. Yeah, I think a lot of people, even at this stage, are making the decision not to travel. They've already, I think, told family, particularly people who were in uh, those who are overseas. I mean, I think a lot of people are being very sensible about it and, and realising it is just one Christmas. Please God, this time next year, we'll all be back together and able to celebrate. Yes, and I mean, look, I mean, historically, we've always, uh, you know, looked at Christmas as a very emotional time from the point of view that, you know, our history of immigration, people going abroad for, you know, for for an eternity long ago when uh, there wasn't the access to air travel, there wasn't the access to modern communication systems like there is like Zoom and WebEx and everything else at the moment, FaceTime. So, I mean, that sense of strong yearning to have people at home for Christmas is still there. But we do not want to put at risk uh, people that you're coming home to visit. I mean, you, the, the people you would most put at risk are those that you, you love most. Uh, so I just think that everybody should be cautious and approach this with a very, very um, clear understanding that there is risk in international travel um, and that, you know, self-isolating 
um, for the 14-day requirement is is the case. And bear in mind, Patricia, you know, I mean, there is testing available. People can, you know, test and test, but the health guidelines here still at the moment are that people have to self-isolate. But overall, you know, I think that as the vaccine rolls out uh, in the time ahead, that, you know, um, people will be able to travel and a part of this would be in the event of uh, a proper vaccination programme being rolled out that Irish people could identify themselves as having received the vaccination if they want to come home or if they're going abroad and this would free up then the opportunities for people uh, to travel in a, in a safe manner than not transmitting disease or contracting the disease. Okay, how soon do you believe a vaccine will be available, Billy, for distribution? Are you hopeful at the end of the year? Well, I mean, certainly, I mean, Moderna and Pfizer is uh, the two companies that have, you know, uh, and if those two companies which are cutting edge in, t- in terms of uh, technology and medical uh, advances in science, etc., uh, but other com- other companies are close behind them. So you will see quite a substantial amount of vaccines going to the regulatory authorities over the next number of months. But let's be honest, they won't be a full vaccination program available to the global population for some time, and bear mm-hmm. in mind the 7.9 billion people, and at best, uh, you know, some of the uh, vaccines, particularly the Pfizer ones, for example, it's a very novel way, but it has to be transported at a, a minus 80 degrees Celsius. Yeah, the Moderna so, one doesn't, though. No, it doesn't, but no. I'm just making the point, like these, all these things just may slow down its yeah, rollout. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. So, so the logistics of getting a vaccine to 7.9 billion people or whoever wants it uh, or needs it um, uh, initially. It's going to take quite some uh, time. And yes, so I mean like the vulnerable people, vulnerable cohorts, uh, healthcare workers, frontline staff, etc. obviously will be the, the ones that should be, will be prioritised and should be prioritised and thereafter then on a risk basis on, until such time as okay. everybody that wants it has it. Okay, we'll leave it there Billy. Listen, thank, thank you for you, that. Patricia. Thanks Congratulations to your 30 years on the radio. Uh, 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 doing the same programme, would you believe? Well, well, you're 30 years. I mean, I, I'm 28 years in politics, so you've always been uh, a voice uh, uh, on that radio programme through my political life. So, uh, yeah, right. Uh, nice to talk to you and congratulations. Well done. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank Stay you, safe. Bye Stay bye. safe. That is uh, Ireland South MEP Billy Kelleher, 1850-333-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, employability services in West Cork, which is a supported employment agency, has remained open throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. So to discuss their work, I'm joined by Michal Hurley, who is coordinator with Employability Service West Cork. Good morning to you, Michal. Good morning, Patricia, uh, and thank you so much for having me on your show this morning. Well, well, Great to be here. Well, you're, you're very welcome. Uh, I suppose start by explaining to us. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Who you support to return to work? We support people who've had any type of injury or any type of disadvantage who are interested in returning to work. It might be some something for example, such as a back injury, or it could be somebody who's living with or recovering from a serious illness, such as cancer or epilepsy, any difficulties people are experiencing, such as dyslexia or dyspraxia, depression, anxiety, or any other mental health issue. So it's very, very broad, Patricia, really. And how how long have you been operating in West Cork? We're operating since 2001, um, and we have been very successful. And I suppose would like to thank the, the West Cork community for their support of our service during this that particular time. And I suppose, Patricia, just the good news about employability this morning that I'd like your listeners to hear is that we have secured 85 jobs working in collaboration with our clients during this current year, which is a remarkable achievement in, in considering the, the times we're in. That's a really good news story because we hear so many people losing their jobs or not being able to find uh, work. So it's uh, that's an, that's well done. Well done to everybody involved. And your service is free? Our service is free. Um, it's a free confidential employment service located right throughout West Cork. We have an office in Kinsale, Bandon, Clannacilty, Skibbereen and Bantry and outreach services in both Castletown, Bear and Dunmanway. We have really experienced job coaches who are available to, I suppose, take people's calls and, and pass on information about what we do, but also to engage with people who are interested in returning to work. Um, our, our details are on our website, empwc.org. And I suppose even following on from this interview, I'd be very glad to take calls myself from anybody who'd be interested in hearing more about our service or, or linking up directly with our service. My own number is 086-854-6559. So anybody at all who would be interested in getting back to work, even though that the times we're in are so difficult, please give us a call and and. We will do our best to help and support. Yeah, don't don't let let a pandemic put you off if if you think no. you, you want to to return. Do just no. do people need to be referred to your services? They do, Patricia. Okay. We work. I suppose it's a collaboration. Really, we work with the Department of Employment Affairs and Social Protection. But if people link in with us directly, we will make them aware of of the procedure involved. But anybody who comes onto the service is referred to us from the department. That is correct. And would you have some people who you've helped to return to work who perhaps were out of work for many, many years? Absolutely. Absolutely, Patricia. We could have clients who have been distant from the labour market for 15 years. Wow. For example, maybe through particular issues that um, 
that have you know impacted on their lives to people who are just out of work as well. It's it's a, it's so broad really because every person that comes into our our service, you know, is unique obviously, and we treat them, you know, based on their story and what has happened in their lives, you know, so where they're at, and we 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 take it from that point and work forward from there. So it's very very broad, as you say, the person who was out of work for years to somebody who maybe had, you know, um who's had cancer, who's had a particular injury, it might be a car crash, and wasn't able to go back to what they were previously doing. So we would reevaluate where the person is at by, you know, looking at their CV, looking at their strengths, looking at what they can do now, what they're interested in doing now. And I think even also our job coaches are there to be a sounding board, to hear, you know, it can be great to have somebody to talk out your interests with and and just to hear what's you know and and to reflect back what's being said as well and and get that information on paper through the cv and and you know hopefully move forward and get a job and it can be a a complete career change for people it can be absolutely it's amazing that can be hard that can yeah with the support of somebody at your side it makes it a lot easier so with it with a job coach at your side and if you like having your back and being interested, it, it, it's it's great to have that sounding board, you know, if you are making that career change. And have local businesses come on board to help support you? We are very, very lucky in West Cork with the support of our local businesses. Absolutely, Patricia. And we're very um, grateful and, and thankful for the energy that they bring and the support that they have offered our service right throughout the years. But as we say, no, no, so much this year, considering the pandemic and and the the difficulties that we've had, I think our our West Cork employers have um, really shown their true colours and supported our clients. And and you know, it's it's, it's great really to see that we have that. Um, great community spirit in challenging times. Brilliant! It's brilliant. Do you believe there's a job for everybody? I do. I do. <laughs> I, I really believe, Patricia. If, if you have the interest and the motivation mm. and, you know, can accept that it can be difficult to get there as well and, accept, you know, to work with the challenges, really. Do the best you can with the challenges that are put your way. I think there is something there for us all. Absolutely. I think it's that motivation sometimes that people are lacking. Uh, that's when I said, you know, how long somebody's out of a job. If you've been out of a job for 15, 10, 15 years, you can get very demotivated, Absolutely. But I suppose what we offer in our service is a weekly support meeting. Now, at the moment, we're not physically meeting people in our offices, but our team are working from their office. But we are offering um, virtual meetings by a medium called Whereby. So the job coach would set up um, a time and a space, really, that the person is in a safe space and a confidential space themselves to avail of this meeting and partake in it. And and a lot of work can be done that way. We have discovered this, Patricia, and I'm sure many, many businesses through the country are operating in a similar way. But not as, you know, it's, it's different to what the old norm was. But a lot of, of very good work from CV development, um, you know, listening to concerns people have, working through that to getting the job can still effectively happen. 
Yeah, I think everyone's had to, uh, had to uh, adapt and, and we have adapted. Who would have thought this time last year uh, that we'd be working the way we're working, but we are. So you operate right throughout uh, West Cork. Are there similar services, Michael, operating in other parts of the county, like North Cork, East Cork, the city? Absolutely. There's, yeah. an, there's another service in Cork called Employability Cork. We're one of 23 organisations through the country, Patricia. Funded um, by? Funded by the Department of Employment oh, okay. Affairs and Social Protection. So it's a, it's a really, really good service. I would really ask, you know, people who are considering, you know, going back to work or getting a job to give us a call. Okay. There's nothing to lose. Make that first step. Well done. Well done. The number again is 86 and our website is em for Mary p wc dot org and our all our information and our job coaches information for your area is up on the website. Okay. So we're we're ready and willing and and looking forward to working with you. And we have those numbers on file here as well if anybody didn't manage to uh, take them down there. Listen, Mike, you're doing fantastic uh, work, Michal. Continue uh, with the great work that you are doing and stay safe. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you so much, Patricia, and for your ongoing support as well. We appreciate it. Thank That's you very, pleasure. very much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Michal Hurley there, Coordinator of Employability Service, West Cork. <laughs> Cork today. Cork today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's One of our listeners has been on wants to know, are there any closed banks uh, in or around the Charleville area? She said the ones that she normally used at the little car park are now gone. So looking for a closed bank in the Charleville uh, area. And I'm wondering, Margaret, just thinking off the top of my head, is there any charity shop in the Charleville area that's still accepting donations? Because I know a lot of the charity shops are doing click and collect. I know the Vincent's shops for Vincent Paul and actually listen to Vincent Paul there on the news with Barry. They are really having a tough time and are really going to struggle coming up to Christmas. So anything we can do to support the work of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. But I certainly know that their shop, the Vincent's shops, they're doing click and collect. If you go on, if you have one in your area, just go on to their Facebook page and they put up the items that are on sale and then you send a message and they'll keep it, they'll hang on to it for you and then you go at a certain time to the shop to actually collect it and I know they certainly are open for donations uh, as well or they have a drop off point I know the one in Mallow that I would support the Vincent's uh, shop they've their drop off where you can leave your items to donate is has been opened during this current lockdown it wasn't open the last time but it certainly is open at the moment for donations so I don't know Margaret if you've got a charity shop that's accepting donations in the Charleville area but failing that close bank in the Charleville area, please, if anybody knows, 1850-333-103. And Ger was on saying, did, you, did anybody watch the documentary on RTE following the nine o'clock news last night on Bloody Sunday? This was the Coke Park uh, Bloody Sunday. He's wondering what did listeners, what did I think of it? What did listeners think of it? I wa- watch it now. I have it recorded. I haven't watched the whole lot of it. I've watched a portion of it last night. I, I thought it was stunning. I thought it was sad. So so desperately uh, sad and you know it was as it was billed 90 seconds of horror it was that's what happened in Croke Park on Bloody Sunday 1920 we're coming up to the 100th anniversary of it the 100th anniversary actually will be next Saturday it was the 21st of November 1920 shooting that lasted 
for just 90 seconds. You know, 90 seconds is such a short period of time. But I imagine for those people that were there, that 90 seconds must have just seemed like an eternity. Was it ever going to stop? And in that 90 seconds of lunacy, 14 people uh, were left dead. And it was Michael Foyle who has, he wrote a book, didn't he? He's the author of The Bloodied Field and uh, it was he presented uh, the programme last night. Well worth a watch. If you didn't see it, you can get it on the player. Well worth downloading and uh, watching. But I said, as I say, it was just incredibly sad uh, to watch. And the one that really got to me was the young boy. He was the, he wasn't the youngest, but he was the first victim of the massacre. A young lad by the name of William Robinson, who came from Little Britain Street in the city and he'd actually climbed up on a tree on the corner of what would be now the modern Hogan Stand, named after another man who was killed on that day. It's near the canal and he got up on the tree as a young 11-year-old boy would do for a better view of the of the match and, and uh, fortunately he was one of the first to be killed and a bullet hit him in the, in the ch- chest knocking him from the tree and it was a ticket seller rushed over to pick him up to you know to see if he was okay and his dying words were actually take me to mother you know and a little 11 year old boy thinking his mother couldn't could make it better but of course he was the so he was the first of the victims to have died at that massacre. So yes, I did see it and I thought it was stunning but so, so uh, sad. Did anybody else uh, watch it last night? As I say, if if you didn't, it is well worth, well worth downloading it on the player to watch it again. Uh, Donal has been on, thank you Ger for that. Donal has been on to say when we're talking about COVID cases and the rise in COVID cases, nobody is mentioning schools. How come when schools went were out in the summer months, there was a drop in numbers or when they were out, they were out from March there was a drop in numbers and when schools went back the numbers went back up again Donald says absolutely what we witnessed at the weekend was wrong but those people who were out socialising are they really to blame Donald feels it's the schools it's a hidden issue and he feels the schools are the reason for the rising uh, numbers Okay, well Schools closed in March when we had our first wave, when we had our highest number of figures. So there's definitely the schools were closed and the numbers were really rising at the very start. And then all of the numbers came down in the summer months and that was expected to happen as well uh, because it doesn't seem to spread as much in the summer months for some uh, reason. But when you when you when people are pointing the finger blame at schools and Donald is in the other there's another a couple of other texts in as well just to give you the stats on the on the schools when you look at the cases the number of outbreaks now the the last update I got was at the end of October I think it was just before they went into the midterm break and at that stage there had been since the schools opened. There isn't a massive number. I think it was 119 outbreaks recorded in schools and an outbreak is two or more. That's what they deem an outbreak. An isolated case in in a school, they don't deem as an outbreak so two or more. And in many cases there might have been only two or three children or one teacher and one pupil that might have got it but that would be deemed an an outbreak. But that's out of 4,000 schools. So while there might be a focus in an area when a school gets a positive case and people start talking about it, oh my local school has a positive case or there's been two positive cases and people start to panic and say is it all to do with the schools? Is it the schools that's spreading it? The actual spread of COVID-19 in schools is actually much lower in school. For example, the rate of positive detection in schools runs at 2% and that's compared at 7% in the community. So there is, so even when a school gets an outbreak and everybody is tested, it's a much lower, well, compi- well 
be deemed COVID positive than in the wider community. So while I know people seem to panic about schools and there's, there will always be people who feels the, feel the schools should never reopen. But then the other side of that coin, people are on the side of for children's mental health and for children's well-being. It is so important that we keep our children in school. But as, as I said, there will be for and against that but it definitely is not a schools are not super spreaders remember in the early days when they closed all the schools there was that danger that they thought children might be super spreaders and of course we've since found out that that is not uh, the case and schools the principals the teachers and everybody involved in schools are doing unbelievable work to protect all of the pupils and to protect the teachers Joan then was in a shop yesterday and so there was bread rolls on display and these were bread rolls, not covered, they weren't in plastic. You picked up your bread roll, however many bread rolls you wanted to be and off you went. She said there was a man in front of her who was handling the bread rolls, having a good feel to see which of them were the freshest. She said at one stage I thought he was going to put them into his mouth. She said it absolutely turned her off. She cannot believe with everything that's going on with COVID that the bread is not covered and I'm, I don't know where the shop is Joan I'm actually surprised to see that because I don't th- I think anywhere that I've been of late if you're buying any kind of bread it's all covered or in plastic because at the start of it I remember bemoaning the fact that we were going back to using so much plastic because of COVID-19 in a world where we are doing our best to get rid of plastic and because of COVID we had to go back into using so much plastic so I really am surprised to hear that but I would be like you I think if I was behind a man picking up all the pieces of bread I'd be moving on I wouldn't be buying it uh, either I can understand your disgust uh, for sure Mary cannot understand when I mentioned that hairdressers are hoping to open on the 1st of December but nobody knows if they will why should hairdressers be allowed to open if we're not allowed to go into each other's houses but I think if hairdressers open on the 1st of December they'll only open if we move back to level 3 and level 3 will have different restrictions which will allow I think under level three, were you allowed to meet, were you allowed one other group from one other family could come to your homes? So it, 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 they will only open if we move out of level five. Once we're in level five, where you're not allowed to go into people's houses, hairdressers are not allowed to open. But Mary, there's a lot of people cannot wait for the hairdressers uh, to open. Uh, they're on their hands and knees praying and hoping that they will open on the 1st of uh, December. And Jimmy on Twitter earlier about pubs. Oh, this was one of our texters earlier was talking about felt that some pubs were abusing their position and I'm always in straight to defend saying it isn't all pubs it is only some but it's the same everywhere you're always going to get the the rotten apple in, in every basket and we can't tire everybody with the one brush well Fran was on to say that he or she I don't know if it's he or she heard a really, really loud sing-song going on one evening. It was half past five in the evening in uh, one of the local bars in the area. Now, this was at the time when we were allowed outdoor drinking only. Do you remember there was a period of time where you could only have outdoor, you weren't allowed? It was when we were in level three, uh, wasn't it? Also, there was way more than 15 people in the beer garden. Uh, Fran worries that if they open for Christmas, they would be complete and utter havoc and is on that side of hoping that the pubs don't reopen. And report just in from RTE, the government are planning to find people gathering to drink outdoors is stalled by Cabinet due to what some described as hesitation by some in Fine Gael and the Green Party. And this was one of the, rather than ban 
takeaway drink, which is what some people had, had called. There was talks today that instead they were going to look at that if you had two or more people gathered outside and they were drinking, one, even just one in the group was drinking, that everybody in that group would be fined. But they needed to bring a new legislation for that and they were trying to do that. Some government ministers were trying to introduce that today. But the latest report coming in now is that that has been stalled by I wonder which of the Fianna Gael and the Green Party where's the hesitation coming from with that if more breaks on that story we certainly will bring it uh, to you 1850 Closed banks thank you for this Closed banks in Ballyhay couple of people saying there's closed bank in Ballyhay Closed bank in Ballyhay at the car park of the service station okay, everybody that's for our listener in Charleville yeah, Ballyhay nice and close to you there in Charleville you'll be able to drop off your clothes there and thanks to Mike who says uh, enjoyed my interview with employability service in West Cork Mike says I worked for employability before they are very very good yeah I was really impressed pressed by Michal Hurley the coordinator who spoke with us particularly his his stat about 85 people getting jobs during a pandemic and these are people who have suffered an injury or an illness or they have an underlying health condition or they have some kind of a disability and they have them to return to work and they managed to get 85 people back to work during a pandemic. That is in itself. Uh, that is incredible. 1850 Hi Patricia, do you know if ferries are running? All we hear, we're hearing about is planes, planes and more planes. It's a shame that the same interest has not been put into homelessness and starving children. Sorry for the moan, but it seems to me that our priorities have gone to pot. Our, and homelessness has not, not gone away for sure. And that's why I mentioned the Society of Vincent de Paul, the pressure they're going to be on, under from families this year at a time when they are not able to collect as much money as they have done in previous years. So yeah, you were right. There are children going hungry and that's why Feed Cork have opened up a bank in West Cork, a hub in West Cork to help out people there. Uh, As to ferries running, don't know about running to Cork. They certainly are running to Dublin. Don't know how many of them are running. But I did hear somebody on national radio talk about that they're booked to come at Christmas. They come every Christmas by ferry and they're booked to come this year. So yes, there will be ferries operating. How many? I'm not uh, sure. Okay, also in by WhatsApp to us. Hi Patricia, just asking if those people who were drinking out in the streets over the weekend, if they were on a COVID-19 payment and they were caught breaching any of the rules and regulations. So could the government not stop their payment by doing that? It certainly would put a stop to their drinking. And that's from Barry. And Sharon says, why don't the Gardaí go out onto the streets and stop? try to stop all of those people that were out drinking last weekend? Sharon's suggestion is give up the checkpoints. They're stopping people going to work every every morning. At the end of the day, the majority of people that are out that have been stopped at a checkpoint are saying the same thing every morning we're going to or from uh, work. Surely that's a waste of time for the Gardaí. They could use the Gardaí instead to be out policing the streets and making sure that nobody's breaching any of the guidelines. That's from Sharon. And Martin says, uh, Patricia, with all of the scientists looking for a vaccine, are a cure for coronavirus. I believe they will accidentally also manage to find cure for cures for other diseases and illnesses. They'll do it inadvertently. With all of the financial and intellectual investment that is going on, there is too much intelligence in the world not to find a cure for certain diseases, illnesses and situations. That's such a positive text. Uh, thank you, Martin, for that. And yes, you're right, because how often have we heard that in the past, that 
they were looking for a cure for something else and inadvertently they realised oh this is going to work for this instead so yes you were right and there's so much money being invested in trying to find both a cure for coronavirus and trying to find a vaccine and Mary said Patricia just to comment on the adult flu vaccine Mary reckons that a lot of young people 17 and 18 year olds are having the flu vaccine some of these young people do not even fall into the at risk category that would be perfectly fine if there wasn't a shortage of the flu vaccine this year would it not be recommended to first give the vaccine to all of those both old and young who do need it and in the at risk group and then give it to the wider population to make sure that the vulnerable get it first says Mary I'm surprised to hear that there are people who are not in the at risk category Mary getting the vaccine because certainly any GP practices we have spoken to when they got the directive from the HSE the HSE gave them the vaccines they were only allowed to give it to people in the at risk groups and even then that ask risk group got shortened when they realised there wasn't going to be enough for everybody that wanted it. So I'm surprised to hear you say that a lot of young people in that age group got it because there are many, very vulnerable people still, people who got it every single year, still waiting for their GP or their pharmacist to get the vaccine in so that they can get the, the flu vaccine themselves. 1850 333 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Celebrate a real Cork Christmas. Find out more at corkcoco.ie. The Castle Magna Community Development Association, they have their book. Will I when I was knee high it's they're having it published in time for Christmas if you'd like to reserve a copy you need to ring Mary O'Sullivan on 086 0717761 Can Talk a support group for adults affected by cancer in any way their group are continuing online with support meetings held every Tuesday evening at half past seven attendance is free of charge but booking is essential tonight's meeting is for Cancer Bereavement Community Group full details are available Available at www.cantalk.ie. Or today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 And just on that documentary that I mentioned when uh, somebody was asking, had I seen the documentary on Bloody Sunday last uh, last night? And I was asking, had other listeners heard they had seen it? And a lot did. Tim said, the worst about the documentary last night was the invention by the British for the inquiry of an, in inverted commas, anonymous witness to say the shooting came first from the crowd. And of course, this was not the case. It falls into the category of the other Bloody Sunday, Gibraltar and the sinking of French naval ships to to prevent them from falling into German hands with loss of life says uh, Tim and another texter says agreed it was an amazing documentary super sad it was yeah I actually went to bed with a heavy heart you know when you're watching something and it's the last thing you watch before, before you go to bed I went to bed with a really really heavy heart and thank you to Catherine because I was unaware of this when I mentioned that the documentary was presented by Michael Foley, who is author of The Bloodied Field, which is the book on Croke Park, Sunday the 21st of November 1920. Catherine tells me that Michael Foley, who was on that brilliant programme last night, is, is actually one of our own. He's from Killavon, and I did not know that. Well, if, if he has any family listening, I don't know if he's still living here or not or he's a native of uh, Kilavon and Passan. Our very best wishes because it was a super, super programme. And as I say, it is available on the player 
and is well worth well worth watching uh, if you have if you didn't see it last night. Joan says personally, I think hairdressers are one of the safest places to people who don't want hairdressers. Well, there was only one person who didn't want a hairdresser to open. There's only about four people in the whole place, and you stay in one spot the whole time. They adhere to all of the guidelines. They take the hairdresser J- Jane Joan goes to. They took her temperature. They give you all of the PPE gear. I never, I, be, I never believe they should have been closed when we moved into level five. Think of people who suffer from arthritis. They can't even wash their own hair. Hadn't even thought about that, Joan. Hadn't even thought about that. I think for the majority of us females, it's just the look of the hair that we're worried about. But I hadn't thought about that. Somebody, imagine if you, if you, you go to the hairdressers once a week to get your hair washed because you can't physically do it yourself with a bad case of, of arthritis, yeah. Thanks for that, uh, Joan. Can I send congratulations to the Burren Ecotourism Network because they're a small community tourism network in, obviously, County Clare, that it's uh, the Burren. They've been named as one of the world's top 30 places, people and tourism projects for 2021. They've been described as a global leader for sustainable tour- tourism in where else but the Lonely Planet's annual Best in Travel list. The Burren Ecotourism Network has been hailed Best Tourism Project for the year ahead. That is terrific. I know we don't have many uh, tourists. We've no tourists around at the moment and we won't have them for the foreseeable future. But please God, the tourists will be back next year and in 2021. Some people absolutely swear by the Lonely Planets guides and if they're visiting anywhere, it's their, their go-to to see what they're going to visit, where they should visit, where they should spend time. So that would be a real, real plus for the Burren Ecotourism Network. And as I say, it is a small community tourism network. So congratulations to everybody involved there. And somebody earlier mentioned, sure, we might have a white Christmas this year. Can I tell you that that actually, the, the thought of us having a white Christmas has made the papers uh, today because all of the bookmakers are out doing betting on whether we'll have a white Christmas or not. And it seems our hope of a white uh, Christmas that some would say might boost the festive spirits and others would say, God, Patricia, if we're not bad enough with the pandemic, why are you wishing a white Christmas on us? Others will be very different. But Met Air, now Met Air, by the way, they don't do long range weather forecasts, but they, they do say that the chance of snow on Christmas Day is very rare and that it only happens roughly every six years. And in order for a bookmaker to pay out on snow on Christmas Day, if you're one of those people that takes a gamble on it's snowing on Christmas Day. To qualify, a measurable amount of snow has to have fallen at Dublin Airport by 9am on Christmas morning. Paddy Power are are ranking the chances of no more of of snow on Christmas Day. 64 for Dublin and Belfast slightly higher. The odds for London at 8 to 1. Whereas you get the best odds of it being a white Christmas in Scotland, Glasgow, Edinburgh and Aberdeen. There's there are, um, it's four to one is the betting there. And looking back on the last time we had snow on Christmas Day, in the last 60 years, we have only had white Christmases nine times in the last 60 years. 1964, 1970, 1980, 1993, 1995, 1999, 2004, 
2009 and by God we all remember the one 10 years ago in 2010 when we shivered remember that was the big freeze and we had temperatures as low as uh, minus 14 uh, degrees it was uh, we will all remember the one in 2010 and that's the last time that we have had snow on Christmas Day as I say some people hoping would love the idea of a white Christmas but I think the majority would say no AccuWeather they are the they they do give long range forecast Ms. Aaron say no the most they can do is 10 days isn't it but AccuWeather do and they say at the moment it isn't looking like we are going to have a white Christmas here in Ireland they're actually indicating that we will have kind of typical winter weather you're going to love this with plenty of rain and showers odd spell of sunshine and occasionally mild uh, temperatures which is kind of a little bit of everything is what AccuWeather are saying we're going to have but they say they are not seeing snow. 1850-333-103 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Listeners been on to in Jane. Thank you, Jane, for your name and your text. Uh, have any listeners in Clonakilty lost their water supply today? Where Jane is in Clonakilty, she hasn't had water since early morning. John Paul is going to check with Irish Water to see if there is an issue. Is it a burst pipe or is it something just in Jane's uh, area? Leave that with us, Jane. And thank you, Michael, has been on to us. And actually, I saw a few WhatsApps in on this as well to say scam callers are at it this morning and they seem to be at it with a vengeance. Uh, Michael has received two calls from two different numbers and they're from Mali in in West uh, Africa. Could you give people the heads up, please, says Michael. I think one of my first texts in this morning was from a listener saying the very same thing. Received a scam call this morning. The code on it was 00223. And when you'd look at it quickly on your phone, you'd think it's from an 022 or an 023 number and of course it's not. And this listener Googled it and turned out the call was a scam from Mali in West Africa. So bring your A-game, folks, whenever you are answering your uh, phone. And water, there are repairs. Thank you, John Paul. There are repairs to a burst water main causing supply disruptions in Clonakilty and the surrounding areas until five o'clock today. Okay, Joan, that's the reason you have no water. Five o'clock today, Irish Water expect to have the water back up and uh, running. Joe Heffernan uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And firstly, thank you for your very kind message. You were one of the ones who sent the messages to our 30th uh, anniversary (laughs) show last week. Thank you. And they all came was such a surprise and you know something now in hindsight when I think about it Mm. obviously last week we were building up to my show that I was here 30 years on Friday Mm. and I did notice that you and Annalise and Peter and gardening and Jane on the pet corner that nobody was mentioning it and I was thinking oh god maybe I'm just so egotistical now that they don't even notice that I'm 30 years on air so <laughs> then of course when I started playing all the messages I realised yeah. why so thank you thank you I you're appreciate so welcome. that you're and, and again well done thank well you done. and can I congratulate your son has picked up an award he has indeed uh, if you don't mind please do the Irish Contemporary Artist of the Year Award wow um, by the RHA the Royal Hibernian Academy which is a bit of a big deal. That is a big deal (laughs) and a cause of celebration. Absolutely. Well done, well done. Now, we are going to discuss gambling on the programme uh, today because this was something I mentioned, I saw it in the the papers. It's the... 
the fact that more young people are be, are becoming addicted to online gambling, I don't know how much of it's to do with the pandemic. I don't know how much of it is to do, you know, with people with young people being stuck at home. It could yeah. have something to do with that. Yeah. But yeah. so many young people spend so much of their life online. Yes, and it's so easy, isn't it, yeah. to get sucked into this world of gambling addiction? Which is part of the problem. Um, yeah, on, on that um, uh, article by um, Rodney Edwards, Professor Colin O'Gara, Head of Addiction Services at St. John of God's uh, Dublin, has said that children as young as 15 are betting via uh, their mobile phones. And he, he also added, we see it as all the stresses that go with COVID-19, uh, the isolation, the boredom, the fear about the future, financial worries, all of that is in the mix. And he also said that the rate of suicide with gambling disorders are higher than the other addictions. So it's a very serious issue indeed. Yeah, and how easy is... Like, we all like a little flutter. Do you know, yeah. I, I was talking only a couple of minutes ago in a very light-hearted piece about, you know, will we have a white Christmas? And, of course, all the bookmakers now are taking odds on if we'll have a white, a white Christmas or not. And some people would see that as a little bit of a fun and the Grand National. Yeah. People would stick a pin in the newspaper and bet on bet on a horse. And that's all fun. How does it go from being a little bit of fun to taking over your life almost? Right. Well, there's a kind of a progression in it. Um, especially if there's an early, um, you know, sizable win. Now, everything is relative, but I mean, if a young fellow won a hundred euro um, uh, for uh, a bet that he did, it might be, as uh, Declan Lynch's book is called, Easy Money. So, um, uh, th- th- that's how it gets going and becomes compulsive. Now, the phases of compulsive gambling are, first of all, as I just described, the winning, the adventure phase. Um, uh, I remember as a young fella, and this is checkable, um, about 50 years ago, more, 55 years ago, I put half a crown on the what they called at that time the Spring Double. And uh, that was the Grand National and the Lincoln. And Jay Trump won the Grand National uh, with a fellow called Smith, an American in the saddle. And um, uh, also old Tom won the Lincoln with Scobie Breezley in the saddle. And for my half a crown, I got £67. Huge sum of money. Absolutely. At that time, you were on the pig's back altogether. You were in one of the best jobs if you were earning 20 quid a week. And here I was with three and a half weeks pay for an adult as a young fella. Uh, <laughs> I bought I bought a crock of a motorbike anyway with it, and uh, that didn't work out great. But anyway, um, so like, there you are. A thing like that can be like, wow, this is great. This is easy money. And, um, and that's the winning, the adventure phase. That's what sucks a person in. Then... Inevitably, or the bookies wouldn't be doing as well as they are. Paddy Power wouldn't be flying. Um, they, they, funny that you mentioned the word Flutter a while ago, because they are now owned by a company called Flutter. Um, uh, 
the the losing phase can start with huge disappointment. I mean, where's my easy money? Um, what's going wrong? Um, I'm actually losing. So then, what can happen next then is called chasing. That's chasing the losses. Like, if I'm out 20 euro, well, if I put 20 euro at even money on the favourite in such a thing, I'll be quits. I'll get back my 20 euro. But instead of that, of course, I'm now out 40. And yeah, and you lose and then you're yeah, trying to... Yeah. And it's funny, any time I have ever spoken with somebody who has recovered from gambling, and people do, thankfully, mm. recover from gambling, and when, you know, when you talk to them about how it started and, uh, you know, and the obvious question is, why didn't you stop? You know, why didn't you suddenly realise before you got in too deep? And they all, every single one of them make that point, I was chasing the loss. I believe the next one was going to do it. I believe the next bet was going to do it and the next bet was going to do it. Yeah. But it doesn't. Yeah. And I remember with Declan's book, um, that's Declan Lynch that writes in the um, Sunday Independent and um, he regularly alludes to gambling. Um, And uh, he wrote a book with uh, a a chap, Tony O'Reilly, not the Tony O'Reilly of um, rugby fame and all that, but Tony O'Reilly, who was the... um, the manager of Gorey Post Office. That's the guy that, that, that I interviewed. Tony Ten was there something? Absolutely. Yeah. His story. That book is that book is incredible. It's a fantastic read, but it just shows how crazy it can get. I mean, um, I can't remember exactly, but I mean, you know, the account was up something like one hundred and forty-two thousand at um, ten o'clock of a night. And um, the following night, it was out uh, minus um, 50 or 60,000. It finished up with 10 million. Yeah. And that's why the book was called Tony 10. And he, like, he was on his honeymoon or on his wedding, the night before his wedding. He gambled the money he put. Now, luckily, he was, his luck was in on that particular day, but he nearly had no money to get married and his wife knew nothing about it. Absolutely. Some, it listeners, horrendous. some listeners in, a gambler always tells you when he or she wins, they will never tell you when he or she loses Well, us. that's a fact. It can destroy families, says Mike in yeah. Bantry. Yeah. And if a my listener says, Patricia, I thought I saw someplace that if you have an online betting account, it can come ag- it can come against you afterwards if you want to go for a mortgage or a loan that it comes against you later on, says a yeah. listener. It does. I've heard of yeah. people going into the banks to try to get a loan or to get a mortgage and when you have to show, you know, your statements and if they see an online gambling account I have heard of banks saying forget it we're not interested in hearing from you they're, they're afraid of taking the risk you're dead right yeah. or, or a credit card um, where you know you, you know how they list all the transactions um, this that and the other thing down well I mean if uh, if for example um, who are the big ones um, Ladbrokes Paddy Power if they are down along uh, one after the other on the credit card account, well then, the, you're dead right. The um, the bank is going to look askance at that and kind of say, mm, we'd be taking a big chance here. And very often it's a reason why a loan or a mortgage uh, might be refused. Yeah. Yeah, and another listener says, my friend has a problem with online shopping. Um is, is, there is an addiction to shopping, isn't there? There is, yeah. Yeah, yeah the shopaholic. Um, yeah. Uh, it, the, the one thing they all have in common is the buzz. Um, 
looking for the buzz, the high, um, and um, yeah, it can be. It, it, you see, when we talk about addiction, um, quite regularly our focus goes immediately to drink and drugs. But there are several forms of addiction, and um, uh, I, I have to say that I mean, uh, you know, when we were locked down there, and when there was no way of, uh, for me anyway, of getting a book. Um, I I would get a book online, um, Eason's Waterstones, um, uh, etc. And um, yeah, I I get a small little bit of a lift um, when I'd be after buying the book and kind of say, yep, the latest Michael Connolly is uh, on the way to me now, and um, and I'd like that very much. Now, like anything that's good, it can become bad. In other words, like it can get crazy, and I can be ordering a library. Um, our um, our shoes, um, our clothes, our whatever, yeah, um, anything that gives um, a little bit of a lift. Um, the lift can be sought again and again and again, yeah. and that's when it becomes um, an addiction. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I, and I think with gambling, it's you know, I mean, all of the addictions are bad, but the gambling is the one that you know, as one of our listeners says, can destroy a family because you can be. There's no outward sign of it. If somebody's no. drinking, they're going to fall down drunk. Even with drugs, you'll see outward signs yeah. uh, of it. And there's only so much you can drink and so much drugs that you can take. But yeah. with gambling. Sitting in your bedroom, sitting in your sitting room while the rest of the family are watching TV, somebody can be online on a computer, a tablet, on their phone. Yep. L- losing, yep. The, losing the mortgage, you know, losing the house. Absolutely. Uh, and I mean, I, I've come across that. I have chatted with people who have um, lost um, enormous absolutely enormous amounts of of money. Now, they're the lucky ones, in a way, because they've come and sat down with someone and said, I have a problem. And, um, you know, the likes of Gamblers Anonymous um, is there. Now, quite a few of the AANAGA now are actually uh, meeting um, in a very safe way uh, again, uh, physical meetings where people actually are in the room. Yeah, because during the first lockdown, that they got stopped and they realised yeah. the impact it was having. So yeah. they are allowed socially distant meetings. That is going ahead. Yeah, you're right there. Yeah. But you'd hear crazy, crazy stories. I mean, the next phase after the chasing losses is the desperation phase. Now, the desperation phase is where the whole thing gets completely and totally out of hand, where, where no, it's insanity. Um, you know, in that book, uh, Tony Ten, I mean, the numbers of euro and pounds, etc. in it, uh, you know, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And I think that helped Tony um, to eventually, um, you know, to realize this is crazy. I need help. And fair play to him. He went and got it. Um, you had Orsheen McConville the former GAA star. Um, I remember him telling a story about how he had been in London and um, uh, it was a, a treatment for an injury. I can't remember, was it a back or a knee or what it was to do with his sporting uh, life. And um, he had the money for his trip uh, from London uh, Central Lake 
to Heathrow. And he gambled it. And he walked it after getting treatment for uh, an injury. Now, I mean, you're into the realm of uh, craziness there. And yeah. I mean, he'd be the first to say that. Um, and those people are always so brave, aren't they, to come out and share their story? Yeah, in the, in the, in the, yeah. And it's great. And they do help others. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, when I kick the bucket myself, um, I'll, 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 I'll remember that um, one, of the, one of the good things in life um, that I have shared was the fact that I am uh, something in the region of 47 years um, uh, off the booze. Wow. Yeah. It's incredible. And, it's yeah, incredible. Yeah. Now, we, are, we, we won't get to it today, but we will definitely do it next week. And we'll ask people to have pen and paper ready because you have one of these 20 questions yeah. uh, for people. For It's hard for somebody themselves who's struggling with the addiction. It would be great if they, they did it. But it's also aimed at family members to see if you think you are living with somebody who might be addicted to gambling. Well, and that might be the week after. Oh, is that um, it? Okay. I, All right. I, so I these, these, we'd get the okay. whole lot of that. So, the, so the, the, list, the questions next week are aimed at somebody who to try to decide if they have an issue with gambling. Absolutely. Okay. We'll do that next week. We'll do that okay. next week. Listen, have a good week and pass on our best wishes to your son. It's your son Joe, isn't it, as the yeah, artist? Yeah. Pass yeah. on our a best wishes. Of people wrote to me thinking I was um, this oh, yeah. brilliant painter, but I'm afraid, no, I can't <sighs> say I'm it. Okay. All right. Listen, well, congratulations to him. Listen, have a good week and we'll talk next Tuesday. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Joe runs a counselling practice in Boy. His number is 029-766-17. And just on gambling, uh, Kev says, nobody should be able to open a gambling account without verifying their age, uh, be it with your passport or your driver's licence or a mandatory maximum spend li- limit should also be enforced on all account holders Then that you can't adjust for a period of month. Common sense safeguards should be uh, put in place how right you uh, are. Could you Ask Joe if his son has a website. I, I He's gone off the line. Uh, Esther, if you send that back into me next week, I'll see if I can get further information uh, for you. Thank you for that. OK, and then have I'm watching the clock because I need to go to uh, news. Uh, somebody's saying they're trying to get the flu jab. Keep ringing their doctor. The doctor keeps saying ringing next week. I'm 66 with a heart condition. My local pharmacy doesn't have it. Keep ringing your doctor. It's not the doctor's fault. Your doctor literally is waiting to get the vaccines in and then they have waiting lists for people that need it. Hopefully you'll get it sooner rather than later. That's why I leave it for today. Thanks to John Paul and to Sadie for taking your calls. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.